0: Good morning, happy Father's Day. Special thanks to all you dads and all you father figures out there who uh, are investing are pouring your lives into our children, to our grandchildren. I think um, out of all the things that we uh, do as men, there's really nothing more important than loving and equipping the next generation to be passionate lovers of Jesus and lovers of other people. I think that makes all the difference in our world, all the difference in our families, in our cultures. And so, uh, thank you, fathers. I hope uh, I hope your your wife take you out to your favorite restaurant. I hope that um, they'll give you a nice uh, back massage or foot massage or whatever you're into. And uh, you can even pull the pastor card. Like, the, honey, the pastor said, you know. So we probably should go ahead. And actually, it might get me in trouble. So you're on your own. Leave me out of it. Back in the book of Galatians, started last week. You want to work your way there. Uh, Galatians is a small little book in your New Testament after the Gospels. Um, As you find your way to Galatians, I just wanted to let you know that next week we're going to be celebrating some baptisms. Um, So if you're newer here, perhaps you're not familiar with kind of our understanding of baptisms. Here at New Life, we believe that baptism is a huge step After we give our lives to Jesus, it's the way that we show the world around us that our allegiance now is with Jesus, that we now belong to him. And so uh, if you haven't been baptized at any point in your life, or perhaps uh, you come from a tradition where you maybe were baptized as as an infant or a very young child. And certainly we recognize uh, kind of the importance of that event as your parents Uh, agreed to commission and raise you in the Lord, but perhaps now you understand the gospel yourself as an adult and you've made uh, your faith your own, not your parents' faith any longer, but it's now your faith and it's time to to show that allegiance to Christ through baptism. And so um, if that's you, I would encourage you uh, to reach out, come talk to me, one of the other pastors after the service. Uh, We'll get your contact info and, and get you set up to be baptized Next week, if you don't have time today to come and talk to me uh, because you're going out to eat and uh, going to get a back massage or whatever it is, then uh, just drop an email to Pastor Mark. His email address is in your bulletin. There's a little blurb about baptism. And so would encourage you uh, to go ahead and reach out about that. We're going to do it next week. It's going to be good. There's no reason to wait any longer if you haven't already done it. And so we're looking forward to celebrating that next week. Okay, Galatians If you were here last week, uh, you saw that in this little letter uh, penned by the Apostle Paul, he was writing to uh, many different churches in an area, scattered in an area, called Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey. The Apostle Paul had planted all of these churches uh, himself. And so these were new believers. These guys had probably only been following Jesus for maybe a year or so. Most all of them would have come from a pagan background, right? And so uh, these guys and gals wouldn't have grown up in the Bible belt like, like many of us, right? So they wouldn't have gone uh, to Sunday school and VBS. They wouldn't have had a framework for what it means to follow Jesus and to live out your life and pursuing Christ. And so uh, these young believers are really green. They're trying to flesh out, hey, what does it look like for me to, to love Jesus, to treasure him more than anything else in my life? What does that actually look like in my life? And Paul is writing these brand new believers because at this point in time in history, they are in serious danger. They're in serious danger. False teachers have sort of infiltrated these new churches. And they were teaching these brand new Christians, these green Christians, that Jesus wasn't enough. They were teaching them that, hey, yeah, what Paul taught you is true. You, you really need to believe and follow Jesus. That's true. But that's only half of the equation, like if you want to be saved, if you want to find peace with God, that's half the equation. The other half is you've got to do all these religious things. So if you're a guy, you've got to be circumcised like the Jews. You've got to follow all these religious Jewish ceremonial rituals and cleansing ceremonies and all these other things. So basically what they're saying to these new believers is, it's Jesus plus all this other religious stuff, which, of course, is the opposite of the gospel, It's the opposite of what the Apostle Paul had taught them. Paul is going to argue uh, throughout this book and really in all of his letters that the gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We can't do or earn anything to get our salvation from God, that Jesus did it all on our behalf. Now, to be sure, uh, as followers of Jesus, we do good works in our lives. But we do good works from an overflow of what Jesus has already done for us. We don't do good works as a means to earn our salvation. Do you see the difference there? That is a massive difference. And that's what Paul is arguing to these new believers in Galatia. So as we saw last week, Paul is writing this letter and he is absolutely fired up. So if you read all of Paul's letters um, he writes to the Galatians with a, with a tone and a passion and a sense of urgency that we find nowhere else in any of his writings. He is a man on fire as he tries to correct this false gospel that has infiltrated to these new Christians. Here's what else is happening in the background at this point in time. These false teachers, who are also known as the Judaizers, they were trying to discredit the Apostle Paul. And essentially they were saying, hey, listen, guys, listen to Christians in Galatia. You shouldn't listen to Paul because he's not, he's not a real apostle. Basically they're saying Paul, Paul is a fake apostle. He's a wannabe apostle. Do you know what a wannabe is? A wannabe is somebody that is trying really hard to be something that they aren't. And they usually look very ridiculous doing it. So I think of like the, the middle-aged man, you know, who's like, 45, he's got the belly. he's going bald, right? And he goes out and buys a brand new Corvette convertible. He starts unbuttoning his shirt, you know, down to his navel, buys some gold chains. He drives around winking at all the girls in his 20s. And you look at him, you're like, come on, bro. What, what are you doing? So actually, I Googled wannabe this week and uh, found this picture. I want to show you this picture that we found of a wannabe. Actually, that's a picture of Pastor Mark when he was a teenager. Lived in a rough neighborhood growing up. Actually, that, that couldn't be Pastor Mark because they didn't have colored pictures in the 1830s. But, you know, that, <laughs> <laughs> he's going to get me back one of these days, I'm, I'm sure of it. So I don't know what this guy wants to be. I guess he's supposedly like a wannabe tough guy or gangster or something like that. And that's what these false teachers are saying about Paul. They're saying he, Paul's a wannabe. He's not a, he's not a real apostle. He's a, he's a fake apostle. He's just getting all of his information about the gospel from Peter, all the other real apostles in Jerusalem. Paul is just a copycat. He's a wannabe apostle. So don't listen to Paul. Listen to us instead of him. So today we're going to read Paul's response to that accusation. And he's going to tackle two primary themes in this uh, part of his letter. He's going to defend the origin of the real gospel. And then he's going to support it by pointing to the radical transformation That he's experienced in his own life as he met Jesus. So, Galatians chapter 1, we're going to finish up the chapter this morning, verses 11 through 24. We'll start in verse 11. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul goes, this gospel, the real gospel, is not man's gospel. It's not even my gospel. This is, this is from God. I didn't Listen, guys, I didn't invent this gospel. I didn't learn it from anybody else. I got this directly from Christ himself. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, you know that he had an absolutely mind-blowing, incredible conversion experience. I think his story is actually probably... One of the greatest evidences that uh, Christianity is true, that the gospel is true. You can find a full account of his, um, his conversion in Acts chapter 9. And he'll get into some of the details in this letter, later in this letter. But right here, Paul is saying, look, the gospel, the gospel is not good advice from men. The gospel is not good advice from man. The gospel is good news from God. This isn't my gospel, Paul says. This isn't even about me. So don't let these these false teachers, these Judaizers, distract you from what's most important, and that is the gospel, which is Jesus plus nothing is everything to the believer. Now, just as an aside here, this gospel of grace that Paul is teaching and he's preaching, this gospel of Jesus plus nothing is everything, this is a gospel that makes a lot of people uncomfortable, isn't it? It's a message that, quite frankly, angers some people. And it angers some people because they don't want to deal with the fact that they need to be saved. (laughs) They need to be saved from themselves and their sin. And kind of the attitude oftentimes with these people is like, bro, I don't need to be saved. What do I need to be saved from? I'm a good person. I do good things. Maybe you're a bad person and you need to be saved. You need Jesus. But I don't need Jesus because I'm a good person. And it's kind of like you just want to respond like, really, man? What's your thought life like? What's your web browsing history look like? Have you, ever, have you ever lusted? If you have, Jesus says that you're an adulterer in your heart. Have you ever hated someone in your mind, in your heart? Jesus says that you're a murderer in your heart. Have you ever lied? Like we can keep going down the list if you want. You need a savior. I need a savior. That ticks people off. That makes them mad, right? So if you're in kind of that camp where I don't believe, I don't need a Savior, that's kind of the attitude that you see oftentimes. Listen, the gospel, this gospel of grace also angers religious people. It angers church people because religious people like to think that all of the religious activities that they do is helping them earn their salvation. It does not. (laughs) Again, certainly as believers, we should be about good works. We should be about loving the downtrodden, caring for the poor, loving the orphan, loving the widow. We just sang that. All of that stuff. But all of that is an overflow of what Jesus has already done for us, not as a basis to earn our salvation. And that ticks religious people off because they want to help God save them. And so Paul is saying, no, no, no. This is a gospel of grace. This is not A gospel of you've got to earn it, you've got to be religious enough, you've got to be good enough, you've got to do all these things and not do all these things. This is a gospel of grace. And this gospel I got from Jesus himself. So he's saying, listen, I'm not a copycat, I'm not a wannabe, so you can just back off, you punk fake teachers, trying to infiltrate the churches in the name of Jesus, right? Just shut your mouths. Verse 13, he says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. So Paul says, Look, let me me prove to you that I have encountered Jesus. Right? You guys have heard about my former life, what I was like before I met Jesus. See, Paul's reputation preceded him. The early church, in fact, even after he became a believer, was afraid of him, they didn't want him to come. Because they had heard about how much Paul hated Jesus, hated Christians, how he violently persecuted the church, tried to destroy it. Paul was a terrorist. So when Paul encountered Jesus on that road to Damascus, on his way, by the way, to imprison and execute more Christians, Paul is saying to these Galatians, look, I was a violent man. I was a murderer bent on the destruction of Jesus and his people, and the only thing that can explain the change in my life. How can you explain that change? I went from a man who who killed the people of Jesus, and now I'm giving my life away, preaching that same resurrected Jesus. The only thing that can account for that change in my life is that I actually met Jesus. I met him on that Damascus Road. And he revolutionized my life. He changed my life. And Paul continues building his argument in verse 14. He says, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. He's talking about Judaism there. See, Paul was a rising superstar in Judaism. Paul was absolutely brilliant. He was a big deal in Jewish circles. He was a Pharisee. Everybody knew who Paul was. He was incredibly zealous and passionate for his religion. And here's the incredible thing. Paul wasn't looking for Jesus on that Damascus road, was he? He wasn't looking for Jesus. He was trying to stomp out the Jesus movement and kill Jesus' followers. But hear this, Jesus was looking for Paul. Amen. Yeah. Jesus was looking for Paul. Isn't that amazing that God loves us? He pursues us. Even while we are his enemies. I said this last week, but I think this bears repeating this idea, this popular idea in our culture, and we hear it so many times in the media and our music and our movies and everything else. This idea that there are many pathways to God. Many pathways to God. And as long as somebody is sincere in their belief system, As long as somebody is sincere about what they believe, then they're going to be okay. Let me ask you a question. Was Paul sincere as a rising star in Judaism? He was as sincere as they come, and let me submit to you that he was sincerely wrong. Paul was a religious man. As a Pharisee, he would have had the entire Torah memorized. Entire Old Testament books, word for word. You think you're religious, you think you're spiritual, do you have entire books of the Bible memorized? Paul was a religious man. Paul was a spiritual man. He was sincere, and he needed Jesus to save him from all of that. And here's the first point. I just kind of want to drive home this morning. If you're a note taker, here it is. Religion won't save you sincerity even won't save you, but Jesus will revolutionize your life. It's Jesus plus nothing. That's the gospel. That's what Paul is arguing here. And he drives home this statement with an incredible truth that he follows with in verse 15. He says this, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son, that is Jesus, to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, Paul says, when I was in my mother's womb, God set me apart. He called me by his grace. And so if you're here and you're a believer this morning, I want you to let those words sink in just for a moment. Let those words just marinate in your soul and your heart for just a minute. Especially if you're here and perhaps you're feeling worthless in your life right now. Feeling useless in your life feeling discouraged. Perhaps you're even battling depression. I want you to hear this. God knew you in your mother's womb. He called you by name. He set you apart by his grace before you even took your first breath. Friend, that is love. Let me ask you a question. Did God know all of the atrocities that Paul would commit, all of the pain that he would leave behind before he was born? The answer to that question is yes. And listen to me, God loved him anyway. Did God know the ways that you would train wreck your life? Did he know all of the pain that you would cause in your life before you took your first breath? The answer to that question is yes, and listen to me, he chose to love you anyway. That is grace, friend. That's unmerited grace, and that's my story. Listen, when I was 20 years old, I promise you, I was not looking for Jesus. I was doing everything in my life except look for Jesus. But listen to me, Jesus came looking for me. And my life has not been the same since. Now, my life hasn't been perfect to be sure, but my life was changed and I've never been the same. So the question then is this, why does God pursue us? Why does God love us in this way? Why does he give us grace and life when we deserve punishment and death? And Paul tells us in verses 15 and 16, this is what he says. what we just read. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, why, why, Paul, did, did Jesus come and save you on that Damascus road? Why? Paul tells us, in order that, I might preach him among the Gentiles. Why did Jesus pursue Paul? Why did God save him while he was killing God's people? Paul says, listen, you need to understand all of that happened. God did all of that in my life so that in order that I might preach Jesus to people who are far from God. That's why I received grace from God. That's why God saved me so that in order that I might proclaim Jesus to other people that need to know him. And in that, I want you to hear this. This is our second truth this morning. God saves you to send you, believer. God saves you to send you. If you wonder what your purpose is in life, God has saved you just like Paul in order to send you. You are a Christian. God didn't save you just so that you could feel good about yourself, so that you could keep this good news just bottled up. If you're a follower of Jesus, like Paul, God knew you in your mother's womb. He set you apart by his grace, and then he sent you. Believer, did you know that you're a missionary? You're a missionary. You know, the word missionary just means one who is sent. We tend to think of missionaries as like these kind of like hyper-spiritual weirdos that pack up all their stuff and move to Africa forever or Asia forever. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a missionary. You're a missionary right where you live in your neighborhood, right where you work, wherever God has placed you, right in your school system, right in the places where you play and have fun and have your hobbies, You're a missionary. Now, you may be a crummy missionary, but you are a missionary nonetheless. (laughs) Now, God has saved you to that and for that purpose so that you might proclaim this beautifully simple gospel to other people who need to be set free as well. If you're in a community group, you may already know this, but kind of our outreach project uh, this summer with our community groups is um, we're giving everybody who's in a group a $20 bill. And the only thing that we're asking people to do is not to spend it on themselves. We're asking people to intentionally find somebody in their circle of influence, maybe a neighbor, maybe a friend, maybe a coworker, and to take them out for coffee or to take them out for lunch, just to get to know them, just to begin to build a relationship with that person for the purpose that at some point in that relationship, they're gonna be able to share this beautifully simple gospel with that person. Now, just imagine, if you could, that there were a person, now I know nobody in our church would do this, but just imagine if there were a person that decided, hey, you know what? I'm I'm gonna keep that 20 bucks. I'm gonna pocket that. And you know what? I bet they're gonna do it again next year and the year after, so I'm just gonna save up a bit, and uh, after a few years, I'd probably buy an iPhone on the church, you know, be my Jesus iPhone. And it just, just now, now, what would your impression of that person be if they were doing that? I think, man, what a, what a selfish jerk. Who would, who would take money that is intended to bless somebody else and just keep it all for themselves? And yet, as believers, that's what so many of us do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We take something that was intended to bless somebody else and we stuff it away in our pocket like it belongs to us. It does not. It was meant to be shared. You were saved to be sent. There's this beautiful passage in the book of Psalm where King David, he talks about this very thing. And it's on the screens for you. You don't have to turn there. But I'll read this to you. He says, may God be gracious to us, bless us, Make his face to shine upon us. Why, David? Why would God do all these things? Why would God give you his grace? Why would he give you his blessing? Why would he make his goodness to shine upon you? He tells us in verse two, he uses the same language that the Apostle Paul uses to the Galatians. So that, in order that, your way may be known on the earth. Your saving power to all the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. So David goes, God gives us grace. God blesses us. God shines his goodness on us so that, in order that, others would come to know this same good God. See, when you became a follower of Jesus, when you taste that type of grace, the type of mercy, that type of Forgiveness. You don't say, man, I'm glad that's behind me. I can check that off my list. Now I can just go back to living my life the same way that I always lived it. No. Now you have a new identity. You've been given a new life and a new kingdom with a new purpose. I was just talking last week to, to one of our young guys here, here at New Life, and he's given me permission to share uh, this story. And I won't say his name because I don't want to embarrass him. But he came up to me last Sunday, and, and this young guy works at, at a local hospital here. And he's been looking for opportunities to, to pray with patients at the hospital and to share the love of Jesus with them. He's looking for opportunities to share the, the gospel with them. And he's been doing it so much that now he's told me that actually nurses and doctors who aren't even believers will come up to him and be like, Hey, you're like the Jesus guy. This is kind of like in your wheelhouse, will you come pray with my patient? It's like, I'm the Jesus guy. <laughs> but you yeah, have doctors and nurses who aren't believers actually coming to him requesting prayer in the gospel. You see, he gets it. He was saved to be sent. He received grace to give grace. And he's a missionary right where he's at, and God is giving him incredible opportunities in the kingdom. Now imagine with me just for a moment, if you will, what if all of us, all 600, 700 people who call New Life their home, what if each of us began to see our neighborhoods, the neighborhood that God put each of us in? What if we began to see our, our jobs What if we begin to see the the people that he's placed in our lives, that we interact with at the park when our kids are playing, what if we begin to see all of that as part, part of God's mission in our lives? To no longer see those things as inconsequential or an accident, not as purposeless, but as the specific plan of God and mission of God for us in our lives. To make him known, God saves you, friend, to send you. And Paul picks up right in the middle of verse 16. He says, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So just after his conversion, he says, look, I didn't immediately consult with anybody. I didn't talk to any of the apostles. Verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that is Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. So he starts heading back to his hometown after three years. So Paul says, look, I was on my way to kill Christians. I met Jesus on that Damascus road. I did not go to Jerusalem and hang out with the apostles. That's not where I got this gospel from. So Paul is saying, again, look, this is not my gospel. I didn't get this from men. I didn't get this from the disciples. I got this directly from Jesus Christ. This is his gospel. And then he gives us a seemingly unimportant detail in all of this, but I think it's actually incredibly important. Paul says Jesus saved him, and what did he do immediately afterwards? It's kind of odd, really. What did Paul do? says he goes to Arabia for three years. Paul heads to the desert for three years. Why? Scholars call this the the silent years of Paul's life. We don't know exactly what the Apostle Paul was doing during these years. Perhaps he was preaching the gospel. We don't know. But it seems as if during this time God is preparing Paul for what is to come during these silent years of his life. Have you ever been there in your life where things seem like they're very silent? God perhaps seems like he's distant. It just seems like nothing is really happening spiritually in your life, right? And you're like, man, God, what are you, when are you going to do something in my life? God, when are you going to use me? God, when are you going to... When are you going to bring along the, the person that I'm going to marry? God, when, when are I when going to have kids? God, when are you going to do something in my life? And let me just encourage you, friend, don't despise the silent years. Don't despise the silent years. The silent years in your life are often God's training ground for what he's going to do next in your life. I experienced this not long ago myself. A few years ago, I was, uh, we had returned from Asia as missionaries. And uh, I was doing precisely what I wanted to do. I was a pastor of missions and discipleship, two of the things that I'm most passionate about in my life. I was doing it in my, my home church, so I was doing it in the church that I loved. I was doing it in the city that I loved. And over time, God began to slowly make my heart restless. And I began to feel like perhaps God was asking me to do something that I found to be terrifying. In fact, it was the one thing that I told God I would never do that I didn't want to do, and that was to be a lead pastor. And so oftentimes our conversations would sound something like this. God, you've, you've got the wrong guy. I'm, I'm the shy kid. I'm the shy kid who in school would rather take a C than get an A so I wouldn't have to do a public speech. God, I'm the, I'm the guy who avoided preaching classes in seminary like the plague because I was so afraid of standing in front of people. So God, if this is what you're calling me to, if you want me to do this, you're going to have to show, show me. You're going to have to like paint something in the sky. I'm not going to go hunt this out because the reality is I don't want this for my life. I don't want to do this. And silence from God. For a year, nothing. And then another year, two years. Nothing. Then a couple of years ago, out of nowhere, for no good reason, several churches within about a three-week span contacted me and said, would you be interested in talking about being our lead pastor? Out of nowhere. No sense. Never been a lead pastor before in my life. Wasn't sending out resumes. There's no reason for this to happen, but I can look back and I can see now that God had me in a season of silence in my life. It was his training ground. And listen, training grounds usually aren't a whole lot of fun, are they? If you've ever served in the military, how was boot camp? Was that fun? Did you enjoy that? Training grounds are rarely enjoyable times in your life. But listen to me, they are absolutely critical to your future success. Believer, do not despise the silent years in your life. Oftentimes, that's God's training ground. And it may be painful, but it's not purposeless. It's his love that compels him to drive you into the desert to prepare you for the amazing things that are gonna come next in your life. He's a good God. You can trust him. Even in the silent seasons, even in the boot camp of your life, you can trust him. Because he's good and he loves you. Paul is gonna finish out this portion of his letter starting in verse 22, and he says, And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me, Paul is saying. So Paul is pointing to his own life as proof of the power of grace found only in Jesus He says, look, believers, they now hear about me. The man who used to to kill the people of Jesus. And they now hear that I preach that same resurrected Jesus. And because of that amazing, radical life change, people look at my life now and they glorify God. And that's the last truth I want to drive home this morning before we kind of wrap things up. Christian, your life is designed to point people to God. Your life is designed to point people to God. So if you're sitting out there and you're like wondering, man, what is the purpose of my life? I feel like I've just been drifting through this life with no purpose, no direction. I don't know what the purpose, why I'm on this planet. Is there a purpose? This is all just a big accident. Does anything actually matter? This is the purpose of your life. God has designed your life. Specifically, to point other people to hope in Him. And I want you to understand something God has uniquely gifted you, He has uniquely wired you to reach the people in your life that I will never reach. And the pastors of this church won't reach, and the elders of this church will never reach. Listen, I don't have your gifts, I don't have your talents, I don't have connections to your family relationships with your friends, you are uniquely equipped for your mission. Just like the young guy I was talking about who worked at the hospital here in town, you are uniquely equipped for your mission. If you're following Jesus, you have his spirit living inside of you. You have everything that it takes. Understand your life is designed, your life is purposed to point people to Jesus. Everything else in your life is just a detail. It's secondary to that primary point and purpose of your life. As we close, would you uh, bow your heads with me just for a second. If I had to guess, I would guess that there's probably at least one person in this room. And right now, you probably feel like Perhaps you've done too much for God to love you. Maybe you're feeling like you've gone too far. Gone just a little bit too far. Done just a little bit too much. Caused just a little too much pain. Maybe you feel like your sin runs just a little too deep for God's grace to reach you. And I think what God is saying to you this morning is, look at Paul. Look at my apostle. God pursued Paul and saved him while he was in the process of murdering innocent people. So if you're sitting there, you're thinking, man, i got to i got to clean up my life. i got to do more of this, and i got to stop doing this in my life. i got to do all these things before God can save me, before God will love me, before God will accept me. I just want you to know you've got it all wrong. That's not how the gospel of grace works, friend. You don't go to a doctor after you're healed. You go to the doctor when you're sick. So I want to just leave you with one question. It's a simple question. The question is this. Do you know this Savior? I'm not talking about do you know some facts about Jesus. That's easy. I'm not talking about do you know that he lived 2,000 years ago and blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. The question is this. Do you know this man? This Savior who transformed a man 2,000 years ago who was a terrorist into one of the most powerful evangelists in history. Friend, do not believe the, the lies that you're too much of a train wreck. The gospel is for you and it's still on the table this morning. Maybe that's not you. Maybe for you, your fear is that you've kind of painted yourself with a veneer of Christianity for a long time and everybody thinks you're a Christian. Your family thinks you're a believer. Maybe you're even a leader in this church and you're, you're fearful that if you come to Jesus and you begin to follow him for real, you really begin a relationship with him, not based on knowledge or facts, but really understanding him and following him and allowing him to give you a new heart and a new life and a new identity and a new purpose in his kingdom, you're scared because you're going to think, man, what is my wife going to think about me? She thought I was a Christian for 20 years. What is my husband going to think? What are my kids going to think? What are the pastors of the church going to think? And if that's you, if that's what's holding you back, let me just say this morning, who cares? Who cares? If they love you, they will be ecstatic. Ecstatic. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, if you don't know this Savior, run to Him this morning. Don't walk. Run to Him this morning. Don't delay and pray for us. Father, thank You for the gospel. Thank You for Your grace that we certainly don't deserve. Thank You for Jesus. God, would You continue just to transform us day by day help us just to immerse ourselves help us to to, to bathe in your grace that we find in the gospel of Jesus God don't let it become stale to us keep it fresh in our hearts God allow it to burn like a fire in our souls God help it to compel us to live a life that will actually matter that will actually count in your kingdom And Father, for the person who's here who needs you today, the person who's here who needs to experience your grace today in a new way, in a real way, maybe for the first time, the person who's here who needs to encounter Jesus in a way that will just transform their their lives, just like you did for Paul 2,000 years ago on that road to Damascus. God, for that person right now, would you just let them see your goodness Father, would you let them see how beautiful you are? God, would you take away the blinders from their eyes so that they could see you, so they could know you in a real way, not facts about you, but know you? God, and in you, find the life that they've been searching for. We ask it all in the good name of Jesus for his glory, for his fame. Amen.